How's it going, everybody? Aloha and welcome back to the Brick House for another edition of Bose Football Final here at KHON2.com and anywhere you download podcasts. I'm your host, Rob DeMello. Joining me, we got former University of Hawaii player and coach Rich Miano. We got former Rainbow Warrior offensive lineman RJ Hollis. And guys, Rainbow Warriors put up a fight in San Diego, falling to San Diego State 16-14, to the Open Mountain West Conference play this past Saturday night. It was a game that the University of Hawaii put, put themselves in position, a fight to the very end, but unable to walk away with a dub as the Aztecs kick an eventual game-winning field goal with seven seconds remaining to get that victory in Southern California. A lot of people encouraged by the University of Hawaii effort, but still it is a loss as the Rainbow Warriors fall to 1-5 on the season. Again, 0-1 in the Mountain West Conference. We have lots to talk about here from this outing, but before we hear from Rich and RJ, let's hear from returning receiver Zion Bowens, who had a big game against the Aztecs. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it, it, it fits perfectly. It fits perfectly, I mean, with the type of offense that we run. Uh, we, you know, we got that running shoe. So, I mean, putting speed on, putting speed on guys is really, really um, fitting for, you know, a deep threat, you know, like myself. You know, still a lot of, a lot of, a lot of plays left out there. But, you know, playing in this offense is a receiver's dream, no doubt. Being, being in a game like that, that close is just like, I mean, that just lets us know as, a, um, as, a, as a team and as an offense that, like, I mean, we, we are capable of playing with these dudes and. Um, I mean, that close to winning is like, you know, we're just like right there on the edge and we just have to make, um, you know, some corrections here and there, clean some stuff up. But I mean, being that close to a game, it kind of lets us know like we're right there on the edge, like right there on the verge of, of breaking out. All right, much mahalo to Zion Bowens, nine catches, 108 yards and a touchdown for the senior receiver who had been out since week one against Vanderbilt. We'll be talking about this University of Hawaii offense, uh, but first things first, guys, I, I want to get your thoughts on this game, your biggest takeaways when you look at coming off of a lopsided loss to New Mexico State. I think that was the game that a lot of people kind of slammed on their brakes to what's going on with this football team right now. Where is the progress? Where is the growth through the first five games of the season? They get a much needed bye week to rest and recover and continue to implement the run and shoot into this offense under head coach Timmy Chang. And they put up a fight against San Diego State falling 16 to 14. So Rich Miano, before we get into the nuts and bolts of things, your biggest takeaway from this football game as they walk away from game one of the Mountain West conference schedule and starts looking ahead for the rest of the conference schedule. Yeah, Rob, there's no moral victories, as they say. But that being said, I thought the defense played aggressive. I thought they played downhill. I thought they had their tackles for losses, the sacks, the quarterback pressures. They, were re they, they weren't reacting. They were just playing physical and playing fast and getting people around the ball and hitting people. So I enjoyed watching that game because the thing that I've been uh, – most dismayed about in the last uh, couple of weeks was coming off that New Mexico State game, you know, them not tackling well, them not being aggressive. So I thought something happened behind closed doors. I don't know if Chris Brown, the linebacker coach, slammed that door with the defensive coaches because I thought strategy-wise and I thought just schematically they were better. And then if they had a players-only meeting, I'd like to know who the leader of this defense is because they, you know what, Isaiah Tupunga had his best game as a warrior. You know, guys like Peter Manuma, uh, I thought Blessman, John Tui Pateau, I thought they played well as a group and took away the run, and I wasn't sure they could take away the run. All right, RJ Hollis, the last time we had Bose football final, of course, we had a bye week with the UH football team uh, to, to allow family time here in a much busy football season. But RJ, you asked to see the dog. You wanted to see the dog in this football team. That was the number one thing that you kind of put on this squad to work on during that bye week outside of the X's and O's. Did you see the dog against the Aztecs? Uh, most definitely. And that was actually right what I was going to uh, segue this with. Everything I asked for in, you know, last week's bi week post on Instagram, I said I wanted to see fight. I wanted to see dog. I wanted to see Bird get hit so hard that when he gets the ball, he thinks about it. He only averaged two yards per carry. So you do want to see the win, kind of put my foot in my own mouth 
you know, dismaying the assignments or whatever. But at the same time, if you've been following this team the entire season, you cannot say you did not see progress in them both on the field and then what they're giving you kind of in that psyche. Like you said, Isaiah Tufunga played like a dog. 20 defenders registered a tackle against San Diego State, and they were only held to 95 yards for a team that loves to run the ball. So I think offensively there's a lot of things that need to be worked on but there was still a big play by Zion Bowens who came back and did his best Debo, AKA Zebo impersonation, just bullying those DBs and getting his hundred yards back out the gate. So there's things that need to be worked on, but you cannot deny the fight and the dog that Hawaii took up to San Diego state. And also the mutual respect that I asked for in what fans should have seen in progress and what San Diego state will leave that field thinking about the warrior team and, Make no mistake about it. San Diego State won, but they know if they play that game again, there's a very good chance they might not. Yeah, and it was a, a, a ball game that through the first half, uh, you know, it it depends what kind of glasses you're wearing, right? It, are you a defensive guy? Are you an offensive guy? You know, we saw the CBS Sports Network crew at halftime saying that was a pitiful performance of offense. And, you know, but with that being said, I mean, both San Diego State and the University of Hawaii you know, when it got into halftime, I was actually quite impressed with both defenses. And, and I thought that that wasn't talked about enough where, you know, this wasn't wide open guys being overthrown or or uh, passes being dropped or handoffs on running plays being fumbled. You know, that is more so a pitiful offensive performance when you think about offenses not moving the ball. I mean, this was a game that through that first half had big hits, had great open field tackles by both teams. I and mean, you had, it, it was a strong defensive effort. And so um, obviously that's what you went into with halftime. And, and then in the second half, both offenses were able to open up just a little bit, but still defenses playing strong to, to set the stage for anyone that didn't see the game or, 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 or just needs a reminder, the university of Hawaii took the lead uh, with, just over uh, a little bit over a minute remaining on a Diedrich Parson touchdown run of 22 yards. Uh, UH goes up 14, 13 and the Aztecs are then going to get the ball on the kickoff. And so we, we're going to talk about the offense uh, performance, the defensive performance, but let's talk a little bit first about that final possession for San Diego state. It starts with the kickoff with Hawaii leading 14, 13, and the opening or the kickoff is kicked out of bounds. It appears that a squib kick or whatever you want to call it was called. Uh, the ball did not stay within the field, uh, goes out of bounds. So then San Diego State then gets it on the 35-yard line. They're able to march themselves up the field with uh, good decisions by Jalen Maiden at quarterback and some strong receptions you had one defensive pass interference call um that that helped the Aztecs along but then they go on to kick a game-winning field goal with seven seconds remaining let's start at the very beginning of that the ball is kicked out of bounds you know instantly the Bose football final mailbox uh filled with uh fans asking why was that call that they felt that they should have just kicked the ball out of the end zone and make them start 25 yard line um, and, and then see what uh, the, the San Diego State offense can do from there. But instead, they're put on the 35 and are able to do what they do. So let's start first on the decision to pooch kick. Rich Miano, where do you stand on that? Uh, from what I understand and everything I knew about Snapdragon Stadium is that going that way into that end zone, nobody's kicking it out of bounds or kicking it into the end zone. Um, this is one that is likely going to be a return. So... The options are kick it as hard as you can. Maybe it lands at about the five and, and you're allowing San Diego State to then return this football. Um, the other option would be uh, to pooch kick it, which they decided to do. Um, obviously, you don't make a call for it to go out of bounds. Um, so where do you stand on this? Because there seems to be a lot of pushback as far as the decision to pooch kick it. Yeah, first of all, being a former special teams coach and a special teams player and a head coach that has to make decisions, you know, all of those analytics, all that research is done in terms of the ability to kick the ball into the end zone. You could go in the other way. This way, you're going to not make the end zone, so you're going to have a return. They practice that same type of return day in and day out. So you have two other options, right? The pooch or mortar kick. It's called both things or the power squib kick. And both of those are so that it's not in the hands potentially of their best athlete. 
The timing is thrown off by the height of the pooch kick or the power squib, the ball bouncing around and not you know, being able to set up the rhythm of the return. So whatever you do call, I would have called a power squib, but I'm not sure they even practice a power squib and that was in their arsenal of the, you know, their quiver, so to speak. So they call the pooch kick, the mortar kick. You have to execute that kick. And if you do execute that kick, it would have been successful. The, the kick went out of bounds. You're starting on the 35-yard line. And that was the first of many bad plays on that drive that resulted in this game being lost. So, yeah, you got to, you know, put it a little bit on the execution of the kicker. You also have maybe can say that the special teams coach could have had a power squib. But to think you should kick it deep, I don't think that was the answer. And so, therefore, I'm not putting this on on the coach, so to speak. This is just something that they have to execute, and they didn't execute it. RJ Hollis, uh, like I said, there, there's been a lot of talk, uh, a, a lot of controversy uh, after this game as far as that decision and the execution. Uh, where do you stand on this? Was this something that that you would have liked to see coaches put the game in the hands of the players on special teams and say, hey, let's allow our guys to make a tackle uh, of course. And, you know, me as a former player and as a current analyst, obviously, I'm going to say that. But what I don't have to my resume is a coach. I've never been a coach. I've never had to make that decision or call that decision. So obviously, I can't really state to what the strategic thinking of that would be. But for me personally, a minute, and 19 seconds left. We kick the ball off to this guy. We got to execute. We got to get, they may set up their seams. They may practice every day how to return a kick, but we practice every day how to stop a kick. And right now we need this one. This is what I would tell my players if I'm the special teams coach, which I have never been. So let that be understood as I'm telling you what I'm telling you. I've never been a special teams coach or made these decisions, but as a player, as you know, somebody who really believes in the passion and violence of special teams and how they can set the tone. In fact, in 2016, we had a freshman by the name of Ikamo Keke, who every single kickoff was setting the tone and getting us hype as we're taking the field. Now, that is just in the opening kickoff or in a regular kickoff. In a kickoff that is going to determine the outcome of a game, I think you got to have a little bit more strategic, you know, decision-making, that's something I've never done, but me personally, I would have told that kicker, you put everything in your hamstring into this kick, and whoever is those remaining 10 guys, you do whatever you can to get your assignment done and stop 15 as soon as humanly possible, but not a special teams coach. Hey, Rob, real quickly, RJ admitted he's not a special teams coach, and don't take this personal because I like that Aloha shirt, but did you get a job working for Hawaiian Air? Because you look like a flight attendant. <laughs> hey, well, and anyone Hello, listening bro. to this on the, po- in the, on the podcast, a non-visual medium, uh, RJ <laughs> Hollis is in a uh, navy blue and turquoise uh, Aloha shirt. It does resemble uh, somewhat of a uh, Hawaiian Airlines uh, flight attendant. Lot. I kind of do look like one. I kind of want to go change my shirt now. Rich then just put me on blast. Like, even hey, if you- hey or, <laughs> you, or you just embrace it and be like, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. This- Hey, it's a nice shirt. I like this shirt. I hey, will I rock too. Hey, hey, some people go to football right games and wear the jersey of their favorite player. RJ just happens to wear the uh, outfit of his favorite airlines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey. Yo, the, leave me alone, bro. <laughs> leave me alone. Hey, I said Rich was white. I've never been a coach. I already admitted it. Y'all let me live, man. Y'all let me live. <laughs> no, I like, well, but Rob, in retrospect, I like RJ's answer because that's the third option, right? You tell them dudes, Hey, this is the most important kickoff in your life that you ever ran down. Somebody go make a damn tackle inside the 20. We win this football game. So I'm not opposed to that, that theory. I'm just saying, wow, coaches think analytically and all that other crap yeah. that goes into it. For sure. And, and, and really, I mean, it needs to be noted that it, the kick out of bounds put it at the 35-yard line of San Diego State. It's not like it put it in the red zone uh, right. uh, for right. the University of exactly. Hawaii. I mean, they still yeah. had to uh, move themselves up the field, and, and that's what they did. And, and you know, the, obviously, let's talk about the, the University of Hawaii rushing defense in just a second because, really, I mean, that was one of the biggest uh, notes from this game is what they were able to do in that regard. But – um, you know, the game winning drive was manufactured by Jalen Maiden, the quarterback for San Diego State, who goes 24 36, 322 yards passing, a touchdown, is able to negate two sacks here in the game. And 
the CBS Sports uh, crew, uh, the play-by-play commentator and and color commentator, obviously, I mean, it's a great story as far as this guy was a safety uh, just last week. Um, but I think one thing, I mean, yes, it's a cool story, but one thing that needs to also kind of just be put in there into reality is that Jalen Maiden is an SEC quarterback, right? He was he was recruited out of high school to be a quarterback in the SEC for Mississippi State. You have the San Diego State current offensive coordinator, Lindley, who was just given the job on this past Sunday uh, or the Sunday before the game against the University of Hawaii. And Lindley was at Mississippi State with Maiden as a backup quarterback. And so that's how uh, he ends up being the quarterback for this game. Maiden, who felt he wasn't getting a fair shot at being the quarterback at San Diego State under the previous offensive coordinator earlier in the year, says, hey, I just want to play football, put me at safety, put me at special teams. And and that's what he was doing this season here in his senior year. But again, Lindley knew what Maiden was capable of and then pulls him back to be quarterback under his system. And I I think the, the, the biggest thing that jumps out to me for Maiden is that, I mean, the decisions that this guy made of of not putting his team in bad positions And, and really that entire game really came down to that. And Jacob Yoro, defensive coordinator, did the right thing. I think everyone will agree on that final drive of, hey, let's get in this guy's face. I mean, they were putting the pressure on him, leaving a lot of one-on-one opportunities here uh, uh, for the passing game, and uh, and the receivers made some fantastic grabs. Uh, Rich Miano, your thoughts on that final drive by San Diego State, uh, which ended up leading them to kicking the game-winning field goal, what you saw out of that defense with the game on the line? Yeah, and, and you talked about this kind of Hollywood narrative of this safety playing quarterback. I think the better story is the fact that Ryan Lindley comes back, changes this offense, has this kid be so productive, make good decisions, and moving forward. I mean, I think they found themselves a quarterback. But on that drive in particular, I don't fault Jacob Euro for dialing up the blitz, especially with a young quarterback in a pressure situation. You know, there were times during this game you would have said, hey, we need to tighten up our coverage a little bit because this guy is not a great thrower or wasn't known to be a great thrower. But that was the only criticism I had on the defense. I thought other than taking the ball away, which they had that one interception early, you know, they had they've done the things you do from a game plan standpoint. You come into a game to stop the run. This team had average five yards per run. Hawaii held them under three yards, 2.7 yards. They were averaging over 200 yards rushing. Hawaii held them under 100 yards rushing. You're going to have to give up something, and you're going to put those corners on an island. So I didn't see anything wrong with Jacob Euro's game planning or decision-making. I thought this team defensively should have won this football game. RJ Hollis, your thoughts on the defense against San Diego State? And and, I mean, I think it's clear to say is their best effort here this season. Oh, yeah, you know, easily. Not only that, when you look at the fact that the defense was out there for 36 minutes and only gave up one touchdown, forcing San Diego State to kick quite a few field goals. This was an exhausted defense in that last final, you know, drive. So the drive itself, I understand putting the pressure on. These guys are kind of winded. But like you said, this is a former SEC recruited quarterback. So even if he doesn't have the prettiest ball, he does know how to play the position. San Diego State is known for running this defense like Rich alluded to and I alluded to earlier. They kept the run to a minimum. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's kind of one of those things where you just bring up the coin toss and one possession getting stopped or one offensive possession going for extra points. That could have changed the entire course of the game. But as far as sticking to the defensive side of the ball, I think they played a really incredible game. The fight, the dog, you got two sacks from two D linemen and Showtime Jones and John Tui Tupo. So, you know, I think the defense went out there and put their best foot forward. And at the end of the day, just as a team effort, it wasn't enough to stop them. And then in that last drive, you know, you dialed up the smart play call. Even if you sit back and don't put any pressure on them, nine times out of 10, the same drive happens. They might be a little farther out of field goal range, but they probably still sell a field goal to win the game at the end. So I think either way of the last drive, you can't really put too much pressure on that. But for the game as an entirety, the defense played really well. And I think anybody, even with the most strictest of glasses, could be able to admit that this defense played well. 
As far as the numbers go, Panay Pavihi, the leading tackler, co-leading tackler for this University of Hawaii football team, he had 10 tackles and a tackle for loss. Peter Manuma, the freshman out of Campbell, 10 tackles for himself. Meki Pei with eight tackles, two pass breakups, and and a huge open field tackle in that game. Rich Miano uh, brought it up a little earlier where he almost had an interception that probably would have been a pick six, a great effort in trying to uh, corral that ball, but just wasn't able to do it there in the first half. Hugh Nelson, six tackles, and Isaiah Tufanga, the aforementioned uh, best game of his season. And Rich Miano says best game of his career, six tackles with one and a half tackles for loss. All right, Rich, you brought it up as far as this defense playing downhill. Uh, does this work moving forward? Or is this one of those games that, hey, San Diego State they run the football. Not only do they run the football, they run the football very well. That is their bread and butter. Their offensive line is solid. They got great running backs. And they came into this game averaging over 200 yards rushing per outing. The University of Hawaii holds them to 95 yards on 35 carries. Is this something that playing that style, that downhill, non-reactionary, just go get the football, go get the ball carrier, does that work? moving forward or does that only work when you're facing a team that is so confident in their running game and you know that the game plan has to be hey make this quarterback beat you because you don't want to let this running game beat you because that's what they do best yeah rob to me it's the only defense that works it's an attacking style it's a big play type of defense it's a it's a physical type of defense and that's what these kids want to play so you know whatever they did schematically whatever they did behind closed doors and then these players executed that. And you could see the enthusiasm. You could see the confidence. You could see that these guys believed in their game plan. And that's the first time I've seen that all season long. So, yeah, are they going to give up some passing touchdowns as we move forward to teams that are, you know, uh, more pro pass? Yes, they will. Are they going to still give up some chunk runs? Yeah, they probably will. But if you have a number of tackle philosophies, if you have some sacks, if you have some turnovers, if you have – you know, enthusiasm on that defensive unit, they got a chance to beat the Colorado States and the Nevadas of this world. So I hope they continue to do what they're doing and they continue to believe in one another because that's the first time I've seen a real defense on the field this season. They had made steps prior to this, but that was a real defense that I was proud of. And you can say anything you want about giving up 330 yards passing. That game plan was to stop the run, to be physical. As RJ said, the dog came out. And it was a Rottweiler. It was not a French poodle. <laughs> well, let's talk about this University of Hawaii offense that uh, is attempting to go aerial. They're trying to stretch the field and go vertical as head coach Timmy Chang has made it clear that the run and shoot is part of this program's future. Uh, of course, it was part of the past. And, and here you see implementations week in, week out of bringing that to fruition. Braden Shager, the quarterback. 20 of 34, 196 yards passing and a touchdown. A second straight game of no turnovers, uh, which is something that is very notable because Braden Shager was turning the ball over and really this offense was turning the ball over at a premium in the beginning of this season. So back-to-back -back outings where there are no interceptions from the quarterback is something that definitely stands out. Diedrich Parson, 14 carries for 70 yards rushing and a touchdown, the, the go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter. Tylen Hines continues to impress eight carries, 68 yards, eight and a half yards per carry. Uh, every time he touches the ball, it's electric. And, and then you look at the receiving core, Zion Bowens, nine catches, 108 yards and a touchdown with a long of 66. It was a 66 yard bomb where you had the, the fastest guy on your team, Zion Bowens, one on one with a safety. And he's able to win that race and, and take it to the house. Kuali Nishigaya makes his return for the first time this season. Three catches, 36 yards, along of 15. Jalen Walthall, three catches, 29 yards for him. And then you had a handful of guys each haul in a pass. Uh, Tamatoa Mokiao Atimalala, one catch for eight yards. And Parson able to do the same thing out of the backfield. So uh, when you look at this offense, RJ Hollis, and, and the growth and um, the implementation of, of, of trying to bring the run and shoot back, obviously you see it throughout the game. You see a lot of it. Uh, you still have to have a, somewhat of a base uh, to fall back on and what you've been working on through two training camps and the early part of the season. And so you still see uh, 
some plays where Caleb Phillips is still a tight end. You see others where he gets moved to a receiver. Uh, you see things mixed up. But what you saw out of this offense, again, you know, is only two touchdowns in the game, uh, but you had a handful of positive drives where you're moving the chains, moving the chains, and just not able to punch it through. What did you see out of this offense? Was it the progress? Was it the growth that you had hoped to see? Uh, I, I would definitely say so. And I mean, you know, one thing you got to realize is last week or two weeks ago, I was talking about what the passing game would be like if you could mix Zion Bowens and Kuali Nishigaya and Jonah Pinoke all out there at once. Well, Jonah Pinoke goes down, Zion Bowens comes back, Kuali Nishigaya comes back. So just starting off with the injuries at your receiving core, more than that, your top receivers, that's obviously going to affect your passing game. I do think Shager still has to get more comfortable as a quarterback and the passing game has to catch up to the strength, which is the running game. No sacks allowed by the big fellas up front, 22 carries combined between the two running back going for 138 yards. So we know that the running game is still the strength of this offense. And even though it's called the run and shoot, we know that the run and shoot strength is the pass. So you can't really just force a playbook on players. You kind of got to still go with what you have, go with what you have schematically, who you have in as tight ends and stuff like that. But the offense is making slow progressions. And I really think it's really just the passing game. Once the passing game could get to that level of, of familiarity and comfort that that running game is at and make no mistake about it. A running game is a lot easier to put together, especially when you look at the fact all you got to do is hand the ball off and let the big fellas and the running back do the rest. When that passing game catches up, if you maybe, hopefully, get a game where you have Kowali Nishigaya, Zion Bowens, Jonah Pinoke, all healthy and all roaring with a more comfortable Braden Shager, I think you'll see an even more impressive offense as these games go forward and with you know, these next few games, you're not going to face a defense that's as good as San Diego, which is also something that should be noted. San Diego State, even through different head coaches, has always been known to have a good defense, and that's what they do. So that's also something that has to be taken into consideration here. But I think the progress is shown week in and week out. Even, you know, the last time out, the time before that, it's shown that not as many passing turnovers, not as many turnovers, period, not as many penalties, false starts holding calls. So I think when you see that small progression, adding that to the fact that you're facing one of the tougher defenses you're going to face, you have to see that there was a, a good, a good amount of improvement, but there does still need to be more improvement, especially in the passing game for this offense. Rich Miano, your thoughts on this offense and what you've been able to see here over the, the last few weeks of uh, trying to uh, really adjust on a dime and, and change things moving forward. Yeah, I'm going to kind of break it down by positions. I'm going to start with the big dogs up front. And I thought the offensive line passed those stunts. And I think there was more stunting on the D line, uh, creating a five-man rush better than I've seen all year long. RJ alluded to the lack. They went had the holding penalties, the legal procedures, whatever else. I also thought they were physical in the run game, which is showing up every week with the yards per carry. And so I'm going to go next to the running back group. And I think Tylen Hines is, is developing to a guy that every time he touches the ball, you think he could go to the house. He's explosive. And the thing about that surprised me is I watched him at Blitz Pickup. He's stoning guys. And for a little dude, he's physical breaking tackles. So I like him. And obviously, I like Diedrich Parsons. Okay, he talked about Zion Bowens. He's the most explosive wide receiver we have. It was nice to see Kowali Nishigaya back not only in the house, but making plays. Jalen Wathos continuing to emerge. And I think Chuki will eventually be a good receiver. So there is some verticality. There is some speed. There is some athleticism to uh, look forward to the rest of this season. So I'm liking that group. I agree with RJ what he said. Shager's the guy, but he has to be more comfortable. He has to set his feet. He has to make quicker and better decisions. And I think that does come with reps, but I do think he's the guy, but he needs to play better continually. And then uh, the run and shoot. I saw some what they call Thunder Houston switch concepts. There was a lot of mesh concepts as well. But the thing is, Rob, I have to correct you because you said there was no turnovers and you always correct me and I'm wrong like 12 times every broadcast. There was a turnover, but I didn't count it either because it was on that last play of that victory type of, you know, they were trying to score. What are you talking about? When at the end, they had, they, when they tried to make that stuff work, there was a oh, turnover. Oh, I know. Okay. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I, I was so, talking about throwing the football, right? No, uh, but I'm just saying. I said passing turnovers. I gotta, hey, I got to correct you. I said you passing turnovers. Sure. <laughs> I right, said hey, passing I'll take turnovers. that. I'll take that. Yes. Okay, Rob, okay, I'll, I'll take Rob, that. You're, you're right. No. So I'm gonna get you back though. I've never seen you. I've never seen you so excited to speak too. I mean, that was like you jumped out of your seat to be able to tell me that one, man. I didn't know. I didn't know it was like that. That you're just waiting. You're just waiting. Well, well, when you have the resident genius who's right like a thousand <laughs> times, and then you have the football dummy who says like ten things that are incorrect. I gotta come back to you once in a while. Love it, love it. Why well, deserve that? I deserve it. All right. So, uh, you know, before we move to the Bose football final mailbox, I, I kind of want to ask you guys just a, just a, a, from an emotional standpoint in the sense of how you feel, right? I mean, these are, I mean, two completely different games that the University of Hawaii is coming off of. New Mexico State is one where uh, I think the fan base, players, coaches, I mean, it's a real punch in the gut as far as like, wow, this is where this program is right now losing a lopsided game uh, to New Mexico State, uh, losing to that Aggie program for the first time in program history. And then you fast forward to a game with San Diego State where, you know, some books had this game, uh, you know, 20-point underdogs that as the University of Hawaii as um, going up to San Diego State, a, a program that has been humming over the years. And, of course, the Rainbow Warriors, uh, a program that is in a rebuild in every sense of the word, um, and, and so this one is a heartbreaker, right? So you have two completely different feelings as far as how these two games end. And uh, I know that they both aren't good feelings for the players, the coaches, the fan base. But with that being said, Rich, I mean, what can a game like this do for a program? I mean, do you, can you tap into to your memories as far as losing a game, but yet that loss really turns into something else in, in a positive way moving forward? Yeah, 100%, Rob. I, I do think that these coaches can use this tape to show the things we talked about, that if when we do attack, when we do read our keys and, 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 and play football like we're capable of physical on defense, when we do continue to get reps and Shager makes better decisions and better throws, we have an offensive line that is living up to the hype and the potential. We do have some running backs that are running the ball hard, and we have some receivers that are athletic. We can score more points. We can do better things defensively, you know, so I do think there's a lot of positives, but I've been around this game long enough to know that, you know, there's no such thing as a moral victory, coach them harder after a win than a loss. This was not a win, but at the same time, they're going to have to continue to play fundamental sound football. And the only teams I see on the schedule right now that they may be is equally talented is Colorado state and Nevada. They're going to have to continue to progress at a rapid rate if they're going to win a bunch of games in this conference. But you know what? This is a huge step in a positive direction in terms of we ain't the worst team in the FBS. We ain't the worst run defense on 130th out of 131 in the FBS. We can do some things, guys. We can have some fun. We, we, we might not win a championship, but we can also show that this rebuild is starting off building from the foundation we pour in the concrete slab as we're speaking we still got to build the walls put the floor down put in the kitchen the bathroom but you know what this was a step to building the concrete foundation rj hollis your your thoughts on this uh kind of really what what rich said you know that it's a great foundation and one thing i would preach if i'm the coach is that it all matters and Earlier in the season, I was talking about coin toss games, coin flip games, where you're separated by one possession or less in the fourth quarter. 2016, I always bring up one because it was my senior year. It was a bowl game, but two, because in the other three years, we had all losing seasons. But in 2016, four possessions separated that team from being six and seven versus being two and eleven. Six possessions separated two and 11 from nine and five because we lost two games by one possession. When you talk about the importance of one possession in the span of a game while you're in it, it seems like you will always be able to go back and get another drive. You'll always be able to go back out there on the field. But what UH should really understand is that if you muster out three points in the entire first half against San Diego, now instead of them kicking a field goal, they have to go down and score. It's 
those little things that in these close tight games, they will always come back and be the biggest difference maker. So if I'm the coach, I'm preaching the importance of everything. Kickoff team. Why is special team so important? Because if we get in a position like this and we do not trust the defenders on our kickoff to go down there and stop a return, we're going to try and pooch it. If we don't get a field goal in this entire first half, well, even if we have a great second half, we're going to come up one, two points short. And that is all that matters because one point is all you need to win. So if I'm the coaches, I am preaching the importance of us continuing to learn the fundamentals, continuing to learn the playbook and continuing to get better because in the games where there's a large spread, you might just not be good enough. But in those coin toss games, you can never say you're not good enough. You just have to say you didn't execute or didn't do what you needed to do when you had the opportunity to do so. So San Diego State, as great as it was morally, Coming close to losing, you still lost. Um, excuse me. Coming close to winning, you still lost. And you lost very closely to a team that was a 21-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. So imagine what can happen when a favorite comes home. Imagine what can happen if we continue to improve offensively. You'd be surprised when you play pissed off and execute what a team can do. And if I'm the coach, that's the one thing I'm harping on. RJ, I say take off that flight attendant shirt and put on your coaching shirt and a whistle because that was well said. <laughs> yes, sir. Love it. All right, guys, let's go to the Bose football final mailbox. Uh, we're running out of time here on this episode of BFF. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Rob DeMello, K-H-O-N, Instagram at Rob DeMello, Facebook, Rob DeMello, rdemello at K-H-O-N2.com if you want to send an email. Uh, this question comes from Jacob. And uh, this takes us back to the end of the game again on a special teams play. It's uh, the San Diego State kicker misses a field goal attempt late in the fourth quarter, which set up that University of Hawaii go-ahead touchdown. He is now in a position to kick the game-winning field goal. Uh, Browning, uh, before the kick, is snapped. The University of Hawaii, who has timeouts remaining, uses one to ice the kicker. We see it all the time in college football. They snap the ball. No one else moves on the line. And this was kind of the interesting thing about it is uh, no one else moves on the line. The, the ball is snapped. Browning kicks it. He misses it. Um, and But then it doesn't count because that timeout was called. They then get another chance at it. He makes that field goal. Uh, we have a question from Jacob asking, where do you stand on trying to ice kickers? Are you in the belief that of that it's silly and that all you're doing is allowing this kicker to get a practice rep in? Um, the one thing I'll say is, though, so the, the time I was called so early that, and I'd have to ask, you know, we haven't had a chance to talk to Timmy Chang uh, to this point yet while we record this, um, but they called it so early that I imagine that um, – it wasn't expected that that a ball would be snapped and that he would go through with the kick because, you know, it wasn't one of those last second things. It was pretty early and it was after the whistle was called that they actually snapped it, um, which you, I mean, in theory is a delay a game call. I mean, if you really think about it, if the whistle's blown and then the ball is snapped and then it's kicked, I mean, that's actually a delay a game that kind of just got unnoticed, right? It wasn't, one of those situations that simultaneously the ball is being snapped and the whistle is being blown. Um, so there's two, two ways of thought, but I mean, that's beyond the point. Um, the, I guess it's, where do you stand on icing the kicker? Do you think it's silly and, and it, sh it should be something that coaches don't do? Is it something that there's value in uh, rich Miano, I'm going to go to you first. Where, where do you stand on icing the kicker? Well, first of all, I was there when Dan, the ice man, Kelly was iced in Nevada. And then he came through and made that kick rod, but I'm with you. And that's a delay of game because I think Timmy Chang did ice him early enough where he wouldn't get a practice try. Because, Rob, if you ever watch my golf game, they call me second team All-American because if I take a mulligan, that second one is going to be right down the middle. So, yeah, I'm with you, man. Call the timeout earlier. And then if you call it early enough, that dude can't get that practice attempt because he missed that thing cleanly and he readjusted and kicked it right down the middle. So, yeah, good point. And I'm, I am an ice guy, but I'm going to ice him early enough where he doesn't get a practice attempt. And I think they did. And I think it's delay a game and it never is called because refs don't want to make that critical call. But Rob, good point. 
Yeah, and and one thing, and again, we have not spoke to Timmy Chang yet, and 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 we, we will ask him uh, just the, the the thought process on that. But the the one thing too that everyone needs to remember, I mean, it, it, it you're looking at the kick, right? And you're saying like, okay, you know, there's more to this play than the kick. The timeout could have been called to remind his team to hey, go after this kick, but you cannot run into the kicker on this because he just missed one. There's a chance he can miss another one, but even if you slide into this guy, they're going to get another crack at it. They're going to, you know what I mean? So there's so many more things that could have been used for that timeout than icing the kicker, right? I mean, I think the, the, the initial thought by most people are just like, oh, he's trying to ice the kicker, but there's so much more coaching that goes on. They could be changing the the attack of how they're kicking it by the way that San Diego State lined up too. As Rich Miano, as a former special teams coach, knows that there's a lot uh, more that goes into that huddle and to why you might need to talk to your team than just trying to ice the kicker. So again, we will try to learn as much as we can about the decision-making process. But that's one thing just for everyone listening to keep in mind is that sometimes it's a lot bigger than just you know something as small as trying to ice the kicker. There's a lot more coaching that needs to be going on rj hollis where do you stand on icing the kicker uh is that something that if you were a coach you would do as well yes most definitely fresno state we uh blocked the field goal we iced the kicker dejon allen made the block so the second kick goes around the kicker is looking directly at dejon allen but doesn't realize next to dejon allen is vianne mawala who's about eight inches taller so he tries to kick it over him Instead of Dejan, Vianne gets that big hand up, boom, knocks it out. Air Force, ice the kicker to force the first overtime, which will go in the second overtime. So I've seen the icing work. I mean, you know, think about it. When you younger and everybody getting lickings or getting whoopings or whatever, the last thing you want to be is the one to go last. Why? You got the longer time to think about it. If I got to shank or make a game winner and all I got to do is go out there as soon as they say, hike, I kick it, I'm good. That's a lot easier than I go out there. I think about it. They call a timeout. I go back to the sideline. I got to think about it again. I don't get the practice kick, which, like you said, Robbie, really shouldn't have got. So that should have been more of a delay of game. But the longer you have to think about it, I see it gets into the kicker's psyche, and that's really the only thing a kicker has to do is sell a field goal. So I would be with Iceman. Well, much mahalo to Jacob for that question. Uh, let's move on to the next question. And this one comes from Vanilla. And uh, the question is, at this point of the year, how much do coaches wrestle with playing young players or trying to keep red shirt options available? The NCAA rule is players are allowed to play four games uh, throughout any course of the season. I mean, it used to be the first four games, and then that's when you make your decision on retro. But now you could play week one, week nine, and not play again until the final two weeks of the season and bowl game, and then you still get that year again. You get to use it as a red shirt. And so uh, the, the question being, uh, how much do coaches think about this? And, and so, for instance, I guess a player that you could um, think about is Kuali Nishigaya who misses, uh, you know, the, the first five games of the season, he comes in and plays against San Diego State. Is there a tough decision to be made there as far as like, okay, do I play this guy for four games? I didn't get him for a whole course of a season, and I still get to keep him for a, the, a whole nother year moving forward as you implement the run and shoot? Um, or is it one of those things that, hey, if this guy can play, if he gives us the best chance to win, I don't care if he burns a, a year that's available to him. Um, we're just going to put him out there on the field. Rich Miano, how much of the process for a coach uh, goes through thinking about this? It's definitely a process, Rob, and there are so many extenuating circumstances uh, that sometimes are out of your control based upon depth, based upon, you know, you're trying to win football games and you're not trying to win them next year. You're trying to win them this year and build some confidence and, uh, uh, you know, do some positive things. So there's a lot to be said about that, Rob. I'm at a point now as an analyst with COVID and red shirt and medical and whatever else. I don't even know what a senior is anymore. I don't even know who's going to walk in graduation. I don't know who's coming back next year. Because when you looked at this starting lineup this past week, 16 out of the 22 Rainbow Warriors were seniors. Does that mean they can't play football next year? I'm not sure. But I know one thing is if you have a bunch of quality depth at a certain position, you may want to redshirt some of these younger guys because they're going to need that extra year to become a great player. And it's kind of like looking at Taulia Tungabaloa. Does he go to the NFL this year or does he come back one more year? All of those things come into play with the transfer portal and everything else. 
This game has changed so much, Rob. I think you got to make sure that this young man wants to redshirt as well. And there's so many different factors that come in. It's kind of a crazy thing, but one that Timmy Chang and that staff has to be aware of. Yeah, and you're absolutely right, Rich. As far as like looking at the seniors on this roster, it is extremely confusing because then there are so many other outside circumstances. It's not as easy as like, okay, was this guy playing in the COVID season, which then he gets, so is he a senior or is he a junior? Is he, you know, because then there's also, you can retroactively get a medical hardship year for something that happened three years ago. And so I don't even think everyone on the University of Hawaii coaching staff, recruiting office, the players themselves, I've talked to some players this season that don't know if they're coming back next year or not in regards to if they're going to get an additional year and you're six games into the season. So that's something that we're going to learn a lot more about. And really, we're probably not going to know until the week of senior week when the University of Hawaii releases, (laughs) these are the guys that are walking. But even then, you don't know because uh, on the University of Hawaii baseball team, Matt Wong this past season walks as a senior. He's honored as a senior. And then he's practicing in uh, fall ball right now. And he's going to be playing for this Rainbow Warrior baseball team. And it's because they got word back from the NCAA later that he can play and all that. So you just never know in this day. RJ Hollis, real quickly, where, where do you stand on, on the red shirt game of trying to keep guys as long as you can in the program? I feel like if you had the the luxury of thinking long term, then you could. Uh, the University of Hawaii has not had longly tenured coaches. I mean, going all the way back to June Jones, I don't, I can't even think of how many coaches have seen an entire recruiting cycle graduate at the University of Hawaii. Meaning they brought them in as freshmen and were able to see them leave. Add that to the fact that you have to have 53 new guys to your roster. You got seven games left, so. You know, if it's normal circumstances and everything's normal, I would say try and keep them as long as you can. Obviously play that game. But with the card that UH has been dealt, if this guy can play and he's a freshman, I got to put him in. I got to play him because at the end of the day, wins are what's important. And, you know, one additional year that changes a career, but it doesn't really help the team. All right, guys, we're running out of time here. Um uh, Rich, I'm going to ask you one last question, uh, but before we do that, set the stage for this week. The University of Hawaii football team will return to the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex to face off against Nevada. As Rich alluded to earlier in this program, that heading into the year, Nevada and Colorado State were the two teams that you kind of circled on the calendar, knowing what the University of Hawaii had coming back this year, knowing all the circumstances uh, behind the roster and and what they were going to be looking at. Those were the two games that were like, okay, those are the two most winnable games in the Mountain West Conference. Uh, And obviously anything can happen over the course of a season, but heading into the year, those were the two teams because those are the two teams in the conference that probably went through something a little similar to the University of Hawaii as far as complete roster overhaul. And UH is not going to get them in back-to-back weeks. The Wolfpack here in Manoa, then they're going to be playing at Colorado State the following week in Fort Collins. And so these are big games for the University of Hawaii. Uh, And of course, anytime the Wolfpack and Rainbow Warriors go at it, you start thinking about great games in this rivalry because it spans over the WAC into the Mountain West Conference. And uh, we got a question from Aloha Maid asking Rich Miano, what do you remember about that 2010 game against the Wolfpack? And that sealed the deal for the University of Hawaii to win the Western Athletic Conference, the last conference title for this program, which was 12 years ago. They did it against a nationally ranked Nevada team with Colin Kaepernick at quarterback. Rich Miano, how special of a time was that? Yeah, you set the stage, Rob, in terms of talking about Colin Kaepernick and that great Wolfpack team ranked, I think, 19th at the time in the AP poll. But, you know, I went back. I got chicken skin because I started watching the highlights for that game. And I'm like, wow, Bryant Moniz, walk on how he excelled in place so special as a Rainbow Warrior. Alex Green, one of the greatest uh, Rainbow Warriors of all times, played in the NFL. Kaloa Polaris, Greg Salas, those are all NFL guys besides Moniz. And Moniz played in Canada or XFL, USFL, whatever he played. And three, four out of those guys, four out of the four captains were walk-ons because I'm going to talk defense now. Richard Torres, who had that great interception in the first half, was a walk-on. Corey Paredes, the walk-on that stripped Colin Kaepernick, maybe the greatest defensive play in Hawaii history in terms of how that changed that game around as the ball went in and it was a touchback, whatever else. And then Mana Silva with the game-winning interception, another walk-on. So being part of that coaching staff, 
beating that team. That was one of the greatest wins in Hawaii history. And I love those guys. And man, it just, it made me just think about 50,000 people in the stands. I could hear the roar of the crowd and just good football offensively, good football defensively. And that was a special team. And real quickly, RJ, as Rich was talking and, and I looked over to you and it sparked something as far as Nevada um, in 2016, obviously a, a, a team that, that you talk about a lot here because of, uh, uh, of it being your senior year and a team that went to a bowl game and, and won a bowl game. Um, if I remember correctly, that, that was kind of the changing of the guard uh, within that season because that was the game that, that you kind of pounded on the bleachers uh, you know, or pounded on the bench there and saying, we need to run this football. You got Diosmi St. Just, he's going to be able to just run all over the field. I know that this offensive line can take this. And then moving forward, that kind of sparked everything. And, and, and that Rainbow Warrior team kind of out physical their way into the end of the season and into a bowl game. And so I imagine that you have positive memories as far as facing off against Nevada. Oh, yes, most definitely. That was Nick Rolovich's old team before he had came. But I think the real thing that you mentioned, Rob, was I originally had told Chris Niole, and I don't know, you know, anybody listening. You guys obviously know Chris Niole, but anybody listening to this, he doesn't take advice and just, okay, yeah, I'm going to do it. He has his opinion about everything. But when I said, hey, coach, we need to run the ball, he says, tell the head man, let's get it going. And when the head man looks at me, trust me and goes hey schmitty rj saying we can run it and then we run apple six times consistently the next drive that makes the biggest mesh the mesh of coaches and players and i think when that happens with this team as this season goes when that i'm pretty sure was very heavy in that 2010 team you got walk-ons being your best guys, they're obviously very close with the coaches. So I think just having that mesh of camaraderie between players and coaches, that was the biggest thing. It was a change in the guard. And I think that moment exactly is what put us into the chances of becoming a bowl winning team, which is what we became later on. So, Well, the Rainbow Warriors will take another crack at having a special moment against Nevada as they bring the Wolfpack to the Clarence T.C. Ching Athletics Complex in search of victory number one in the Mountain West Conference for head coach Timmy Chang. That will kick off on Saturday at 6 p.m. The game will be televised on Spectrum Sports pay-per-view. And of course, on Monday, we'll be back here on Bo's Football Final to talk about all that went down between the Rainbow Warriors and the Wolfpack. Much mahalo. RJ Hollis and Rich Miano. Thank you to everybody listening, and we'll see you back here next week on Bo's Football Final.